For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel and Republican political consultant Neva Hill joining me over Zoom video conference. Attorney General Mike Hunter is joining Texas in its attempt to throw out votes in four states won by President-elect Joe Biden. The lawsuit alleges mail-in voting in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin was unconstitutional. Neva, what do you think about this latest move by the Attorney General? Well, I think I think uh, Attorney General Hunter, like uh, uh, Attorney General's attorneys general in uh, 17 other states, along with uh, uh, the uh, tech, the Texas Attorney General, have uh, just you know moved forward with yet another um, another attempt to, to make the case that they believe that uh, um, the U.S. Constitution gives authority over presidential electors. Uh, only to state legislatures, and their contention is that non-legislators uh, were involved in making changes in the mail-in balloting rules in those four states. So um, it is it is a last-ditch effort, I think, uh, in terms of just the timing. Uh, but uh, clearly, uh, in all of these states, we're continuing to see every avenue uh, utilized to try to make a legal argument and see see where it goes. And ultimately, um, I think that um, uh, the, the clock's going to run out on, on all of this process at some point. But I think what we have is a situation where clearly the opportunity is there to make the case, to go to, go to court, and to see what uh, the rulings are. And that's the, uh, that's the position that we find uh, the country in right now with these uh, attorney generals and the actions that they're taking. Ryan. You know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not immune to being swept up in a political moment. I've let catharsis and political gesturing to my political circles on social media drive my thinking and sometimes my actions. I get it. That's the way our brains work in this current pressure cooker environment. You get caught up in these feedback loops and protecting your status among your base becomes the be all end all. But knowing that you've got to give yourself some tools uh, to step outside that feedback feedback loop. And when I'm speaking about myself, sometimes I say I have to sober up from being drunk in the moment. Uh, And that's what I think that the attorney general needs to do here. He's a smart lawyer, uh, but he's clinging to a very laughable legal position and one that is at the undercurrent of a dangerous movement that's threatening critically important democratic institutions and norms. Now, I don't think for a minute that A.G. Hunter is intending to hurt democracy, but his voice here is giving powerful legitimacy to those groups, some of them who are frighteningly violent, that do pose a real threat to democracy. And that includes President Trump, who on Thursday said a coup is taking place in the United States of America. So I understand the social urgency A.G. Hunter is feeling at this moment, but he needs to step outside that moment and be the leader and the lawyer that he's capable of being right now. Aniva, at what point does this become less about trying to find fraud and trying to overturn the election of millions of people? Well, I think I think the process has been ongoing since uh, since election election night, and I think what we're seeing now is uh, are these uh, last efforts uh, that most anyone on both sides of the aisle, I think. Uh, consider long shots in terms of reversing the outcome of, of the presidential election. And, and, let's, uh, and let's also remember that the Electoral College is set to vote on Monday. So, I mean, we're, we are now in a place where this is going to get final resolution 
everyone will have had the had the opportunity to go through the the process and and I think that is important regardless of where people fall down in their either political persuasion or their thinking uh we've seen this now take its it's kind of take its uh its full movement through the process and uh, and I think the conclusion is going to uh uh in all likelihood, take place with the Electoral College uh, uh, meeting on Monday. Governor Stitt rescinds his nomination for the State Board of Education. After quietly removing Kurt Ballenbach from the board last week, he moved to appoint Melissa Crabtree. A Crabtree immediately came under fire for her lack of public education experience, her advocacy against mask mandates, and sharing misinformation about COVID-19. Ryan, what do you think about the, this move by the governor? You know, you know, chalk another one up to the king of the unforced error. Uh, you know, there there are just, you know, probably hundreds, thousands of Republicans in the state of Oklahoma. I'm not even talking about Democrats, just Republicans uh, that have deep experience and knowledge and understanding of education, care about education that would make perfectly competent nominees for the governor to put on the Board of Education. That's even leaving aside his decision to remove Kurt Bolenbach from that position, who, you know, Kurt is a, an incredibly smart lawyer. I'm not just saying that because we started law school at the University of Oklahoma at the same time, but he, he's an incredibly smart guy. Um, but if you look at the decisions that he's made on the State Board of Education, they're they fly in the face of the policies that have come out of the governor's office. He was one of two votes for a mask mandate. Uh, he has questions about the legality of schools that are taking state funding and to be able to discriminate against staff uh, or students on, on the basis of religion or using religion as the, the vehicle for that discrimination. Um, he didn't come down on how he felt about that, but he said, we've got questions. We need to look into it. And, you know, so that that question of removing Bolenbach is, is even separate and apart from this idea that of all the people that he could have replaced him with, uh, he finds somebody who had a, a catalog of just conspiracy theory, fly in the face of reality, social media post. Um, you know, the, the, the real person here that, that should have been rescinded, who's the staffer that said, oh, this is fine. Did they not look at anybody's Facebook fa page? Did they not look at any social media um, and then, you know, finally, the, the governor says that he rescinded the nomination or that that his his nominee uh, asked that her name be removed. You know, really what happened in that was the governor called probably and said, uh, hey, will you will you not do this anymore? And we'll we'll try to make it graceful for you, a uh, graceful exit for you. But, you know, that's probably what happened at the end of the day. And now the governor blames it on union leaders and Democrats, which, oh, wow, union leaders and Democrats suddenly have that much power and influence with the governor. I'm, I'm sure that they were glad to find that out uh, in, you know, in December of 2020, finally. Uh, you know, really what it was was you know, widespread opposition across the education community that included Republicans and Democrats that were just, you know, just flabbergasted at, you know, the uh, at this nominee, when there are so many other qualified nominees, Republican nominees that the governor could have tapped. Neva. Well, it was a, a kind of a bizarre sequence of events, and I would agree with Ryan on the on on the point about the vetting of of the replacement. I mean, uh, the governor had appointed uh, uh, Bolenbach to the board in 2019, then abruptly took him off. Then there was the quick need to get someone on to replace, uh, remembering that whoever that person is still has to go through Senate confirmation when the legislature comes back in session. And that could, you know, that could have posed difficulty had this, uh, had this nominee um, uh, 
Melissa Crabtree, you know, move forward, move forward through the process after she was appointed. But I, I'm not so sure that Ryan's assessment that uh, that the governor kind of uh, decided to cut his loss and and, um, you know, ask ask for her to, you know, politely step aside was the case. I mean, there's uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, speculation and talk uh, that is uh, ensued around the Capitol that suggests that, in fact, uh, she kind of got thrown into the fire and didn't really, and was kind of overwhelmed by the reaction. I mean, here's someone, she was the founder of the Enid Freedom Fighters, which is a group that advocated advocated against mass mandates. Uh, they led a recall uh, campaign against an Enid city councilman uh, who had supported stricter measures uh, um, uh, related to COVID-19. She had called COVID-19 a hoax and, you know, Facebook posts. She had, uh, um, uh, you know, she is uh, uh, very active in the anti-vaccination, you know, movement. And so there's a whole, there's a whole network. Uh, she homeschools her children, even though she uh, had four years as a special education teacher in Tennessee, which would have been, you know, one of the things I think they would have looked at on her resume. But um, in this climate, and with the backdrop of all of these other issues beyond just education and making an appointment to this to this particular board, you also have the politics of it. I mean, here is uh, the governor squaring off with Superintendent Hoffmeister, all of the rampant speculation that she may be, in fact, looking at challenging the governor in a primary in two years. Uh, it may be wild speculation, but it certainly adds uh, fuel to the fire. And then you have this uh, competition of who are the outside groups that are really uh, trying to, uh, you know, push or pull on these appointments. And the governor taking on the OEA, classic, uh, classic battle, Republican governor, uh, Democrat uh, stronghold, OEA establishment, the state's uh, largest teacher union. But you also had OCPA, one of the most conservative uh, uh, think tanks on, on policy. Uh, with uh, many folks uh, in in their kind of network that clearly were uh, strong supporters of Crabtree as a nominee. So you have all of all of these competing interests, but at the end of all of it, when it finally the dust settles, now we're at a place where the, we have to we have to see the governor go back to the drawing board find another nominee? Do you find someone that potentially can do your bidding, but may be polarizing or may have, uh, you know, may have some chinks in the armor? I think for everyone out there, the takeaway just in the general public is, you know, when you talk about social media, you talk about your posts that don't seem to, you know, it, they kind of are in your own little sphere of influence and your own network. Many things that are said now have tremendous political implications and ramifications. And one of the things uh, oftentimes you tell p prospective candidates is uh, go back and look at your, go back and look at your social media. I mean, some of it probably needs to be uh, scrubbed and needs to go away before you start getting, uh, trying to elevate your profile or decide you want to jump into the political arena. And so I think she was a victim of some of that very, uh, very uh, activity and had no notion, it never probably occurred to her that uh, any of this was going to be in the mix when she accepted the uh, governor's call and uh, and uh, his appointment. All right, a lot of uh, power has been, was given to the governor to hire and fire off of boards uh, through the state legislature. Do you think there's going to be a lot of thought of maybe this, maybe they've given him too much power? 
Well, yeah, I think that there's there's a difference between the governor having this power and the and you know the real threat with with all of this was the governor trying to micromanage outcomes on on boards and you know I think that we've seen that with the state board of education you know whatever whatever his motives are whether it's uh, the political motive of trying to make a power play against a possible uh, opponent in the upcoming gubernatorial election and and the primary or whether it's to outcome you know to affect some outcome on uh, policy. Maybe it was the the uh, the scholarship that the state of Oklahoma grants to uh, students that go to private schools. And, and he wanted to make sure that he had another vote on there to protect uh, the ability of those schools to discriminate against students or teachers under the uh, auspices of religion. You know, who knows? But nevertheless, you know, now we have a governor using this power uh, to try to micromanage the outcome of these boards. And these boards uh, for, for the longest time in Oklahoma have even, even though you appoint folks that have uh, your political leanings uh, and, and you hope are going to you know, carry out policy in the way that you, you think it ought to be carried out, they've for the most part been independent. Uh, and the, now the ability of the governor to hire fire folks at will uh, has, has really challenged that independence. And if you're sitting on a, on a board right now that the governor has that ability to fire you at a moment's notice, You've really, you've really got to give pause to every one of your decisions because you know each and every one of them could be the hill you die on. Uh, and it's you know, are you going to go along with the governor here so that you can uh, live to fight another day, or is this the vote you got to take? And if the governor fires you, so what? Um, but that's that's the the thinking I think that both the members of that board, those boards and commissions, are dealing with. But the legislature really ought to consider that as well because whether you like the governor or dislike the governor, giving the executive that much power, uh, it totally changes the dynamic in, in Oklahoma politics. A pilot program at Mustang High School allowing students to quarantine in school rather than at home gets no volunteers. The program with 20 spots started on Monday, but no one wanted to take part in it. Neva, are you surprised this didn't get any takers? I am not surprised <laughs> uh, based on just kind of the general <laughs> the general reaction that we saw leading up to it. I mean, this was an a school quarantine pilot program that uh, when it was rolled out by the state commissioner of health, Lance Fry, uh, he, he really characterized it as something that he was very proud of. It was a big moment for, uh, uh, for his, uh, for his agency and that it was going to be the first school in the nation to do a program like this. And they ostensibly had the notion that if they, had a program like this, even though it would be with only 20 students in two classrooms, with all of the um, with all of the protocols in place to uh, uh, to follow the the uh, CDC guidelines, that even that it would allow an opportunity to be able to collect uh, data that would help in terms of some long term goals of providing. Um, face-to-face instruction and maintaining open schools uh, in the future. So that was that was the premise, but the reaction, obviously, particularly from uh, uh, from the uh, school teachers, was uh, uh, tremendously negative. And it was interesting. Uh, even uh, even uh, Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne had been uh, uh, had been pushed into you know, many wanting her to weigh in on the subject, believing that because if you put kids in the classroom who have tested positive, it creates an unsafe work environment. Uh, that was the argument that it would put her in a position that she could, in fact, put uh, emergency rules into effect that would set some new labor standards for public employees. In this case, 
teachers. Um, and so while that didn't come to pass, I mean, I think it, again, is another, it, it's another uh, interesting um, juxtaposition between the labor commissioner, between the commissioner of health and the uh, school districts, such as the Mustang schools, uh, and all of these, all of these different uh, uh, entities trying to find their way to deal with something. I think in, in the instance of the health department, they, they were, you know, they were wanting to, in their, in their words, think outside the box. But in this instance, without getting buy-in from all of the folks that were going to be directly involved in the, in the uh, Mustang public school district, it, it, uh, it really went nowhere. And I think uh, as a result, even this week, they issued uh, the spokesman for the uh, a school district issued a release that said ultimately that the program may not materialize. So I think uh, I think the program, at least at, at this juncture, appears to be DOA. Now, Ryan. Well, you know, Neva said that it was categorized as, as thinking outside the box. And, you know, I'm normally uh, you know, all for outside the box thinking. But in this instance, hey, everybody, get back in the box. Let's just, just get back in the box. Uh, this is a pandemic. Uh, this is this is not the time for experimentation uh, with kids and teachers and support staff uh, and an experimentation in a way that, that jeopardizes people's lives uh, and, and their well-being. Um, you know, this... There was a, uh, I forget who made the statement, but they, they were touting this as a, a first in the nation program and that we should be excited about it. And we were going to be the only, this was going to be the only program like this in the nation. Well, the, the reason it's the only program like this in the nation is because it's a terrible idea. Uh, let's, let's take kids that have maybe had exposure to this deadly pandemic and let's put them in a room with other kids that may have had exposure with this deadly pandemic. And then let's put school support staff and teachers that, you know, who, who ostensibly haven't had exposure uh, to, to COVID, let's put them in the room with those kids and let's see what happens. That was the whole plan. Uh, just, it was ridiculous on its face. It makes, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised in the least that no parents said, oh, hey, I wanna, I wanna sign my kid up for that deal. Even, and, and let's, let's put this in the context of where parents are at right now, because I'm one of these parents. I've got two kids at home right now. They're upstairs in virtual school as we're taping this thing. Uh, you know, I need a break from my kids. I love my kids more than anything <laughs> in the world. I need a break from my kids. And there are a lot of parents. I'm assuming parents in the Mustang School District feel the same way. But even they were like, nah, it's not worth that. Uh, it, it's not worth putting my kids or their teachers in danger for something like this. So uh, I, I suspect that this thing just dies on the vine and it will it will go in the in, in the the record books of you know awful thing awful ideas that came up during the pandemic that thankfully nobody took advantage of the state virtual charter school board votes to bar two of its members from taking action in regard to epic virtual charter school the board voted three to two to recuse matthew hamrick and phyllis shepherd from votes on epic after it learned the two had conflicts of interest with the school's co-founders ryan how big of a deal is this well, it's a huge deal because you know it it means that Epic's uh, future is going to be determined by three members of the state virtual uh, charter school board. Uh, so, you know, instead of having five members that are going to be hearing the case for and against Epic, uh, and we and we you know, we've talked ad nauseum about that uh, and the audit that they went through uh, on this program, and folks have read about it everywhere else. But you know, the charges against Epic are are incredibly serious about mismanagement of funds and their ability or inability uh, to be able to provide important pedagogical services to the students of Oklahoma as the state's largest school district. They are the state's largest school district now with over 50,000 students enrolled with them. 
And so their fate and their ability to continue operating in the state of Oklahoma, they have to have uh, permission from the from this uh, statewide virtual charter school board to every every charter school, every virtual school has to have the green light from them to operate in the state of Oklahoma. So their future now comes down to three votes. Uh, one of those votes is Governor Stitt's recent appointee, uh, Brandon Tatum, who voted with uh, two other board members to disqualify these uh, to disqualify Hamrick and Shepard uh, from the ultimate consideration of Epic's future. So that I think that that's a big deal. I think you know, the other part of this is that every time we read that Epic has become the state's largest school district, it begs the question of why the Oklahoma statewide virtual charter school board even exists at all. Uh, you know, if, if the state's largest school district isn't governed by the State Department of Education and the Board of Education, uh, then then, you know, why not? I mean, that that just you know, makes sense to me that, you know, if you're going to be that large and have that many students, you should have you know that same oversight as Oklahoma City or Tulsa Public Schools or or even, you know, smaller schools like Seminole or Sasakwa. So, um, you know, that's that's a question that you know, would be interesting if legislators legislators take that up in this 2021 session. Neva. Well, and I and I agree, Ryan. I think in terms of uh, what what will the legislators do when they come back in session uh, as they look at this whole issue with Epic and and just charter schools across across the board. And I think uh, I, I think the again looking at kind of what is going on with the um, with the virtual charter school board itself. I mean, you have you have them now uh, setting up for hearings in March, early March, where they will review evidence and testimony on a whole litany of alleged uh, contract violations by Epic, other things uh, that come out of the uh, very scathing audit that we've talked about, as you say, uh, uh, many times on this program. But it also will give Epic an opportunity to present its evidence and witnesses uh, in its defense. And so that process, which originally was supposed to take place, uh, those hearings in January, got moved to March. We're talking about middle of the legislative session with a lot of uh, uh, with, with some potential for pending bills and action that would directly have implications to uh, to these very issues uh, with epic and just the larger issues that uh, that come into play so will will those hearings be pushed off till later uh, in the year or will they in fact take place in march we have no idea at this point but the other thing that uh, took place um, uh, this week that's interesting is that there were new administrative rules approved on Tuesday that do regulate the relationship between the uh, uh, these virtual charter schools and education services service providers they hire. So one of the things that the state auditors specifically pointed out in their audit was that Epic lacks separation and independence from the company that manages the school, Epic, uh, Epic Youth Services. So, and the point there was that the two owner and operators of the private company, I mean, that, that the vendors and the management companies, these new rules say must be separate from the virtual charter schools in all respects. In other words, the names can't even be the be close to the same. Right now, Epic has Epic One on One on One, which is their public virtual learning platform that's in all 77 uh, counties in Oklahoma, makes up about 60 percent of their total enrollment. And then you have Epic Blended Learning Centers, which operate only in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. And those account for the rest of their student body population. 
and those are sponsored by Rose State College. So, um, so there's there are so many complicated issues here when you start talking about things that uh, that not only came out in the audit, but just additional things that have been out there floating around, bandied about, discussed uh, by opponents and and, uh, and supporters alike. So I think this is going to be one of those issues that's going to be at the forefront throughout the coming year. And we'll just have to see ultimately what, uh, uh, what the resolution is. But I think, you know, the implications are that given the complexity, given the fact that both sides are going to dig in for a long fight, uh, there is no uh, there's no way to really determine that at this point or speculate uh, intelligently what the outcome will be. And Eva and Ryan's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.